You're listening to the Family Discipleship Podcast, a podcast of training the church. Hey, this is Adam Griffin, and I'm here with my wonderful co-host, the lady that was probably president of our high school fashion club, Mrs. Cassie Bryant. How are you doing today, Cassie? Oh. <laughs> I'm good. No, maybe like the president of thrifting, like thrifting. trying to make the most on a dime. Were you a foodie already back in... No. no. No, it's hard to be a foodie in Wichita Falls. I mean... Yeah, that's what I was wondering. But like, I, I was really into fashion, but I couldn't afford to be into fashion. So a lot of Vogue okay. magazines, but a lot of like, you know, knockoff brands of anything. We already I'm hooked. I am so drawn into this <laughs> podcast, you two. Way to go. <laughs> fashion and Wichita Falls are not two Riveting. concepts that come mm. together in one mm-hmm. sentence in my yeah. life before, I don't think, ever. I've been to Wichita Falls. Spent a week there one day. Oh, oh wow. Mar- of- Marcho Grouch. Uh, okay. <laughs> spent a week there one day. That's classic. Yeah. So the voice you're hearing is our guest today. Unfortunately, my wife, Chelsea, can't be with us, but we are honored by the venerable Oh, the the a, a true professional of the craft, <laughs> professor in my life, Mr. Chap Clark, everybody. Dr. Chap. Yay, How you doing Boy. today, Chap Clark? I'm doing great. How are you guys? I'm here at Gig Harbor, Washington, and it's God's nature just screaming at us with wind and rain. It's beautiful. Oh, so. I love it. <laughs> Chap, when you were, you know, I've, I've heard you speak many times. You were a professor of mine. So everything that I do is good probably came from you. Anything that's bad, I probably wasn't paying attention. <laughs> but when you were in high school, I'm wondering way back in, did they have superlatives? Were you ever like Mr. This or most likely to that? Well, I did win the award of with Anna Amato, most talkative. Most talkative. Okay, this is perfect. And, uh, and best actor, but as the only guy that ever did acting, as the only geek in the crowd. <laughs> you I know didn't what? play in basketball, though. That's great. I, I actually, when I was in high school, I also got best actor, and I was nicest guy. And my uncle asked me, so is all of your nicest guy stuff, is that just you acting? Are you just pretending to be nice? I felt really... <laughs> That's a good line. That's probably, there's a little bit of truth in that for any of us that act. Yeah, more than a little bit. And I was just yeah. pretending to be nice. I just wanted people to like me. Speaking you know, of people that I like, Cassie, I'm glad you're here too. Uh, let's jump in though, <laughs> chap. I want to talk a little bit about you before we jump into our content. I want to talk a lot about teenagers today, but first, can you tell us a little bit about yourself, your family, your ministry, a little bit about who Chap Clark is? Sure. Uh, I'm, I get to be married to Dee. Amazing gift. 43 years of marriage. Met her at a wow. Young Life camp called Woodleaf. And uh, three kids and uh, five grandchildren, seven to two. The joy of our lives. I am. I was a professor at Denver Seminary and then a Fuller for twenty Fuller Seminary for twenty one years. Professor and administrator, uh, youth, family, and culture, and something called practical theology, which is a whole another podcast. And people will still be confused. Um, <laughs> and I and I love that. I got to meet people like Adam and get to hang out with you guys. And and then somehow the Lord moved us to become a senior pastor at Newport Beach at a big Presbyterian church across from high school and. And uh, enjoyed that during COVID, but it was wild. And I could write a book on that after everybody that was there dies. <laughs> Just got to outlive them and then you're going to write oh, it. Oh, <laughs> yeah, maybe I can. Who knows? And, uh, and then I retired from that about two years ago. And we've been setting up this thing called um, Institute for Ministry Leadership, where we connect young adults generally to churches, neither one of them trust each other, and try to connect them and have uh, 
churches set up these cohorts and we're partnering with Fuller Equip, which is where we've done two certificates, one on practicing theology and one on on mission. It's fantastic. Great curriculum. Bunch of Fuller faculty are part of it. All my buddies and ended up paying them a dime. We just brought nice. them in. And, and so if anybody's interested in that, that's that'd be the website, instituteforministryleadership.com. Excellent. That's awesome. Well, a lot of your writing is for parents of teenagers. How did that become like your field of expertise? Well, I met the Lord because a junior high school teacher walked on our high school campus in Connecticut and befriended me and a couple of our friends. So I went to this Young Life Club. I hated every minute of it. But somehow I kept coming back because this guy knew my name. And uh, that was the journey. I ended up meeting the Lord at a Young Life camp called Malibu up in Canada and and grew like a weed and um, still a, a really brokenhearted, wounded person. But the Lord has been so gracious all those years. And I just have never been able to let go of high school kids. And that became young adults and then married folks. And now anybody under 60, I consider a kid. So, uh, <laughs> but I literally, I just, I, you know, commercials, movies, TV shows. I just can't walk down the street. I, I cannot get my heart away from going, who's praying for that person? Who, mm. who is sitting there and listening to them and taking them seriously? And that's, it's been my career all these years. And so the writing and the research, when I went to Fuller, this a long time ago, but I became a researcher uh, out of my own doctorate where I learned how to study people in what's called ethnography by coming alongside and entering into their world. And uh, that's that was really what shifted in my own career was um, discovering things about teenagers in the year 2001 to 2003. And from then on, I've continued to do that research. And now it's shifted from the book Hurt Inside the World of Today's Teenagers into what I'm calling the cultural pivot about a year ago. Decided not to do a Hurt 3.0. We had a Hurt 2.0. And because it's affected all of us, the changes. And so mm. now I'm speaking on that quite a bit on the cultural mm. pivot of how the culture's changed in five major ways and impacted everybody, but especially what's doing at Gen Alpha. Uh, Gen Z millennials. Yeah, I want to get into that wow. with you, actually. And I, I do want to talk about Hurt in a second, too, because it was, you know, your research from that. I, when I was in your classes, you won't remember because there's a thousand people that have been through your classes, but I was in there in the era of Hurt 1.0, you know, and okay. we were, that was brand new and fresh. And, and it really shaped the way I was trying to train our leaders to think about high school students and to think about adolescents in general. And I want to get into that. But first, I want to talk about that change you're talking about. You know, it, it's pretty common that when somebody starts talking about what teenagers are dealing with, somebody will say something along the lines of, you know, we, we all went through that, that, you know, every generation has this, this teenage, you know, this adolescent phase that it's, you know, teenagers, they're just like we were in high school. So I want to set you up here. Can you speak to this a little bit? Does every generation go through the same thing or is there anything unique about maybe what today's teenagers are facing that maybe other generations in the past need to maybe give some grace or wake up to a little bit something that's different now than it was when we were growing up. Well, I, I love that. I don't know the demographic of the podcast, but uh, just in general, if you take people that are roughly 60 ish, 50, 55 ish and older, and they'll say that all you got to do is go, yeah, do you remember Pong? <laughs> and, and anybody that doesn't know what I'm talking about, don't worry, it doesn't matter. It was one of the very first video games we all played when we were in high school or college. And uh, 
if, if you don't think things have changed exponentially, then, then you just haven't been paying attention and you're probably not reading anything. Uh, yeah. and, and, and then folks that are somewhere in the probably millennials, which would be late twenties, uh, all the way through Gen X, those folks, they don't say, I don't hear them saying that as often as the older folks do because they're well aware. Gen X, they knew they're in the midst of a massive transition. And then millennials inherited yeah. from Gen from Gen X, uh, the Gen X had this sort of cynical defensiveness. These are huge, gross generalizations that nobody <laughs> would agree with at this level. But what the heck? Gen X was, the, was fighting against what they saw was incongruity in the midst of rapid mm-hmm. change, not only here, but around the world. And then millennials inherited more a malaise of discouragement, especially at first, because Gen, Gen X didn't really change anything. They just got mad and, and, and kind of yelled at everybody. So millennials then became what was called the entitled generation. And man, all the stuff, the people aren't writing about that much anymore. But when millennials were coming out, that's when I did the first hurt study, right when millennials were coming up. And that's the reason I did it. I don't know if you remember that, Adam, because I was getting so mad going to conferences. I'd speak, but I, I would always listen to the other speakers. I wouldn't go there to be entertained. Uh, I, I'd sit in the back and go, do you really know what the heck you're talking about? Really? Ever actually talk to a kid? I'm in the process of teaching a fuller. We ran a Young Life Club with kind of relatively poor and disconnected kids in our own home in La Crescenta, California. And as a lead pastor of a, a, a kind of upper middle class evangelical free church in Burbank, you know, Bible toting, American Eagle, the whole thing. And the kids from the church and the kids from our Young Life Club, they both had the same kind of sense that I'll trust you a tiny bit, but don't get too close to me because I have no idea what to do with that. That's, and I went, I'm hearing all these people talk about millennials are coming. Yay. No, millennials were getting, they didn't know what to do because Gen X had kind of broken everything down. Deconstruction, that's the first part of it. Postmodernism became a big deal. Mm. So, you know, since then, now we got Gen Z. And then we had an article today in the New York Times on Gen Z uh, of how Gen Z is turning 28 and 29 and they don't know what to do with themselves. Uh, mm. They call themselves, they're like spoiled milk. That was in the article today going, Botox is on the rise for people in their teens and 20s. Wow. So all that said, Adam, is things are changing so quickly, not just technology, but in every system and every institution and that we've set up so carefully over the last several decades. And it's they've been shattered, uh, shaken at their core. Good. And our young people, millennials and Gen Z and now Alpha Gen are all so shaken. They have no idea how to get on firm ground. And that's what, that's kind of what I'm trying to help people to see. Sorry, that's a long explanation, but no, that's good. I want to talk about, you know, how do we help them find those answers a little bit? You know, I am old enough to think that hurt is still a pretty new book. I don't know if you get those kind of things in your head. <laughs> you know, but... it is in my book, baby. <laughs> yes, it's not, so... it's not as new as great camps and retreats you can find <laughs> on eBay for 10 cents. So <laughs> <laughs> that's great. So hurt, you know, one of the things you talk about in this book that you did, this research you did, which I appreciate a research-based approach to what's actually happening with teenagers. You talked about defining adolescence a little bit. One of the things you said here, I'm going to quote you for just a second. You said, adolescence then is a psychosocial 
controversial independent search for a unique identity or separateness, with the end goals being a certain knowledge of who one is in relation to others, a willingness to take responsibility for who one is becoming, and a realized commitment to live with others in community. So you kind of have these like essential I wrote questions. That? Wow, you, that's yeah. actually write it write downable. <laughs> I actually wrote a letter to your editor just saying, "I'm sure Chap didn't do this, but I really want to thank you for putting the sentence no. together after whatever he <laughs> no. had down." <laughs> just kidding. Probably one of my fuller students over coffee. <laughs> <laughs> but so you you kind of lay out this land where adolescence is about solving these identity questions, right? right? And I'm wondering, you know. Most of our listeners can be parents, but certainly some of them are church workers. We'll get into that a little bit. But how are we supposed to, as parents and and as people that want to influence kids, come alongside and help them answer some questions that are maybe they're not asking explicitly, but that is the nature of that season? How do adolescents find the answers to these questions is what I'm trying to say. Great, great question. And the simple answer, you remember it back from the day. It hasn't changed. It's it's. The responsibility of society is to create an environment where every young person has a pathway to enter into being a part of that society. Okay? So every society's responsibility, ultimately, there is no other responsibility than to not only pass on their story, the meta narrative, but to pass on uh, what it means to be part of the larger community. It's adults' responsibility to do that, to create the pathway. Well, over time, what we've seen, and it's been a, it's been going on for now several decades, but it really ramped up around the, through the 70s and 80s, deconstruction through all that period. What we call uh, social capital is where people in their life who don't have a real personal win in it, they don't have a reason for caring. But a high school football coach in 1975, if you talk to the high school football coach, almost across the board would say, I am, I am building into young men. That's what I love doing, and I'm using football to do it. You ask a high school football coach now, I am coaching a football team, and I'm bringing out the, the excellence of my boys. There's a huge difference. The first is I'm building people. The second is I'm building my agenda. And that's what's shifted is that all of culture has stepped away primarily because we've all been so lost. Again, that stuff about the generations and how we've had less and less social capital over the years have stepped back from investing in kids, from sitting on the stands of their lives, of taking a walk with them and just listening to what their angst, their concerns, their feelings, their, their, there's little trust. And one of the cultural pivots actually is everything's transactional now. All relationships are transactional, meaning I only have a relationship if I can bring something of value and worth to the other person. So it's my responsibility as a kid to make sure that my teacher, my coach, my, my youth leader, my grandparents are receiving something from me, whether it's good grades, whether it's I'm a good kid, whether I'm a good athlete, doesn't matter. As long yeah. as I can bring some to the table. Well, that transaction means I am performing my way into blessing. Mm. And therefore, I do not have the time or the resources to be able to land for myself to enter into adult society. That's heartbreaking. Wow. So how does that impact then, if you're talking about, you know, so much of our show focuses on uh, the transferring our faith to another generation. You think about that spiritually. You know, a lot of the questions you're asking or that we're just talking through about identity formation, they're really about value as well. But if I want my teenager 
to follow the same God I follow. How do I take what you just said and think about it strategically in the way yeah. that I operate as a disciple maker in my home? I love that. This is actually fun. And I'm doing more stuff with D6 just recently because oh, yeah. they're, they're starting, they're asking more, Ron's asking more of those questions. And yeah. I've done Origin before in a lot of the past too. A lot, a lot of the folks are saying, okay, how do all these dots kind of connect? And, and here's the bottom line is we separate spiritual formation and our spiritual goals for our kids from human development. And our and our, hu- our our human desires for our kids, and it's almost like these are two different tracks that are disconnected from each mm-hmm. other. We want our kids to become faithful believers, and we want them to get be the all star on the team. We want them to get the best grades, play the instrument, make sure people go. That kid's awesome. These are two separate tracks that are almost never brought into play with each other. Well, mm, so the first thing is to realize. As, as parents who love Christ, our goal is to create, not to create disciples. Holy Spirit does that. We create environments where kids witness and experience the love of God in Christ through the people that surround them, primarily their families, but has to be more than that. That's the five to one stuff. You remember that? Yes. Five non parental adults caring for each kid. So, how, how do you actually do that? Well, here's what I love. If parents want to know how to be good parents, you go to 1 Thessalonians 2. You, you, Proverbs, fine. Keep doing that if your pastor tells you to. I've got a whole other conversation about that. But um, <laughs> 1 Thessalonians 2 is just perfect, where our visit to you is not a failure. It's incarnational. So our work with our kids is incarnational. We enter into their world, not in a way that's invasive, but in a way that's supportive. Then seven and eight, like a mother, we gave you not only the gospel of God, but our very lives as well. So dear, you had become to me. Like a mom, both men and women, don't worry so much about the gender roles. Be out of the, your own personality and gifts to, to give your lives to your kids, not just information teaching. Amen. And then 11 and 12, my very favorite, like a father. What's a father's job? Both a mother and fathers. It's not paternal. It's not gender. Like a father, we're there to comfort you, to encourage you. That means implant courage in your kid. And lastly, and to help you to live lives that are worthy of God and God's glory. So First Thessalonians 2, spend a lot of time in it, and you're going to be fine. Yeah, that's so good. <laughs> Sorry, that's a lot of stuff. I know our podcast is supposed to talk short. You know me, Adam. I can't do that. <laughs> you're doing great. I'm loving this, chat. This is blessing me. Yeah. Okay, it seems like Every family, even if we're doing the First Thessalonians thing, we're discipling our children and have them in the church, every family is going to go through a season of rebellion with their teenage kid. Um, so we're, we're about to have teenagers in our home. Um, so is Adam. They have three boys. We have three girls. And we're kind of, you know, gearing up. We've got parents ahead of us like, get ready. It's going to be fun. Um, I'm feeling pretty optimistic. I don't know about Adam. You feel optimistic I'm about Very it? optimistic. Well, yeah. it's, it, it's good to feel optimistic when they're seven, nine. <laughs> uh, we're, we got 10 and 12-year-olds. I have almost an 11-year-old. Oh, okay. Well, you're on the precipice of falling <laughs> off that optimistic cliff. Okay. Like hanging yeah. off the edge of a cliff right now. <laughs> but I'm still smiling at my son as he holds so maybe, me. So maybe this question is irre- irrelevant then. But is there any way no, to avoid that season of opposition? That oh, a lot I of parents that. assume we're going to have. Let's 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 use the two words that you used. That's just, and Which, Adam knows this too. I'm, 
it's a, it's a curse of being in Chapland. I'm sorry, <laughs> Chapland. But <laughs> the words you used, and I I don't know what what speaker or book or pastor told you that those words are appropriate with your own children. Rebellion and opposition. Mm. Oh my gosh, think about them. Those are both words that are that are in the realm of power and hierarchy. Hmm. Not relationship, mm. grace, mercy, care, environment of health, uh, recognition that it's harder for kids than it is for us. It's these words that we use that, boy, if we can just keep our kids inside that box, raise up a child in the way they should go, and when they are old, they will not depart from it. And how we translate that is raise up a kid the way I want them to grow up the way that wow. I want them to be. How do I keep them from rebelling against my dream for them? That's not that passage. Mm. Raise up a child in the way they should go. First thing, you got to remember we're stewards of our kids. We are not the hierarchical control brokers to make sure that we avoid rebellion and, and obstinance and fighting back. They're on a journey to try to figure out how do I move from being a child where everything I am and everything I know about myself is located in my family system into being a productive, healthy, powerful adult who God is using in his kingdom to bring in his glory. And here's the deal. If we just keep in mind that that transition, of course, in this culture is going to be filled with struggle and heartache and negotiation. And how do we understand this? If we soften our approach and realize this is the greatest journey, you guys are right on the edge of it right now. I joked about that, that cliff of a, if they don't push <laughs> back against you, you're doing something wrong. Mm. If they don't struggle and let you into that struggle, if they don't somehow be defiant over things they don't understand or can't contextualize or feel guilty about, who's going to be there for them to talk it through? And you, Adam, you know, doggone well, the youth pastor is the one to sit with them and go, dang, you've never told your parent that? No, no, they just told me I got to be, you, I bet you've had hundreds of those at least. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Okay. Think of your own kids then. Yeah. Now that doesn't mean you allow for just every form of rebellion. Amen. Yeah. But what it does mean is we provide that environment where they are they are still known and loved and cared for and we don't overreact and overcontrol the process. Like a mother. We were gentle among you. We gave we loved you so much. We mm -hmm. we gave you not only the gospel of God but our very lives as well. So dear you had become to us. Don't ever lose sight of that. I love that. Hey friends, it's March and that means Easter is right around the corner. In fact, Easter is in March this year. It's part of the reason I'm pumped to tell you about one of our sponsors who's got a really special Easter deal. This is a great time to get some new resources to disciple your family. Our friends over at Lithos Kids are having an Easter basket sale. They've got the brand new Little Pilgrims Big Journey complete box set. It's now available. Guys, I can't tell you how much I love this resource. If you don't have it, you need to go check it out. Kids and parents have loved reading about Bunyan's beloved tale of Christian and his adventure to follow the king's path to Celestial City. And now you can get all three books in one box set along with 
a map, and it comes with a coloring book, and the whole thing is just 60 bucks. You can use the code FAMILY10 to get 10% off your entire order at Lithos Kids right now. So what a great discipleship opportunity. To find all this, go to lithoskids.com, see all the items in their Easter promo, including their new release, The Parables of Jesus, and the Kingdom of God Bible Storybook. Guys, we love Lithos Kids. You're going to love them too. Go check it out today, lithoskids.com, and remember the promo, FAMILY10, to get 10% off your entire order. Sometimes hard things happen. Sometimes they happen to children. When God Makes Scribbles Beautiful is a beautifully illustrated book that helps kids trust that God can take their hard things and use them for good. This picture book imagines that the hard things in a child's life is a scribble following him everywhere. Readers will journey through God's promises from the Bible, inspiring hope and faith in God's good and redemptive plan. Hard things don't always go away, but God can turn them into something beautiful. Available at BeautifulScribbles.com. Download a free parent connection guide and printable scripture cards. That's so good. Yeah, I need that word, especially about like I tend I tend towards control as a mother, like right. just keeping all my ducks in a row and my house organized and all the things. And I can I can definitely prioritize that or my sense of control over a relationship with my my girls. So, what piece of advice? What or piece of encouragement? If you were to plant courage, like you just said, into the um, ears of our listeners who have teenagers at home and they're in this season or they're just maybe even growing weary of the rebellion and the constant pushback. What, what word of encouragement would you give them? Well, the first I already said this, thanks Cassie, is, is try not to use those words. Mm. Try not to use those concepts that that's not what's going on. Every behavior comes from a place of insecurity, fear, and loneliness. Every behavior that's outside what, what we hope for and expect is coming from a deeper sense of angst and wondering and wandering. It's not just rebellion. I, it, it, these words got to be erased from education, from discipleship, from parenting. So that's the first thing is realize something's always going on in the inside. And the more we create that environment, and let, so let me, let me say what creating that environment means. One is, what are our priorities for our kids to become powerful in the kingdom? How do we decide what's really important? All you got to do is look at the way you spend your time, your money, your vacations, what TV shows you watch, what movies you watch, the conversations you have, the rules that you have. What what are all these things set up to create for your child going forward? Like, I know justice has become its polarized political word, which is stupid because it's justice is righteousness engaged. Okay. Justice is righteousness employed for the kingdom of God. In other words, it's participating in God's bringing his shalom and repairing that which was broken. Mm -hmm. So exposing your kids to making wrongs right. That's what justice is. Get it out of the political realm. Don't listen to any of the pundits. Realize that your kid is created by God to be an advocate for making wrongs right, for making people whole. Give your kids opportunities. Your, and do this as a family. 
are you connected to people who are poor? Are you connected to people who, who have needs? Are you connected to people that are different? And how are your kids engaging in conversations with you guys about what's our role as believers? Not what's our role as a particular demographic, ethnicity, denomination, political party. No, none of that matters to the kingdom. What matters is how am I creating a life where I'm going to matter in in the world? Because nothing else matters. Now, that's the first thing, Justice. Secondly, is exposure to opportunities for purpose. Carapal and Fuller Youth Institute is doing really great work on it. They got a new book called The The Big Three, and they call it Identity, uh, Purpose, and Belonging. I've always called it Identity, Autonomy, and Belonging, but it's roughly the same thing. Uh, That's a good book to read, Carapal, and the Fuller Youth Institute. Get on that website. Uh, You get a free thing every, I don't know if you guys do that, but every week it's great. And but they talk about purpose is, is a big thing for your kids. Once they hit about 12 or uh, 13, 14, you've got to give them not that your purpose you impose, but a way for them to go, Hey, I, I can actually teach kids how to play soccer because I've been a good soccer player. Not I can get a D1 scholarship. Not that that's bad. That's okay. But what if I'm actually helping kids that never didn't have a parent that want to learn how to play soccer? And I'm good at that. So in other words, justice and purpose. If you can do that with your kids and listen to the Lord, talk to your kids, pray about that, and watch them begin to grab onto life. Oh, then it's fun. Yeah, let me ask you about that. So this is adolescence, they're entering this, you know, the stage. I like your word autonomy. They're they're developing a sense of self, but also uh, who they are independently in some ways right. from Have their family, to. not not completely separated from them, but still a, a version of independence. You know, for a lot of our listeners with younger kids, still in that maybe optimistic phase, even like us, as we're discipling our kids, you're, you're sitting down, you're reading the Bible together, you're doing family devotion together, or you're, you know, you're taking them to church together. As these kids start to transition into that adolescence, as they transition to the stage where they're searching autonomy, what also has to shift in the way that we lead our families the okay. way you see it, when you come to like thinking about, hey, it, it, this is not going to be the same thing anymore. It has, something's going to change because they're asking different questions. I love that. And here's where some of my controversy comes into play, depending on your folks. So you okay, guys- let's get ready to edit this out. Let's do a yeah, nice clean well, break right here. Yeah, well, edit out the rest <laughs> of you. If you've listened to everything else, think of the theological context, the biblical context of everything we said. And parents hate this word. But once they begin to move into adolescence and actually- they call it pre-adolescence, but is the, it's actually early adolescence, roughly from 10 to 14. You have to learn how to teach them how to negotiate in a healthy way. Don't just give them rules. Negotiate. I want to go to bed later. All my friends go to bed and everybody else. And you still make <laughs> me go to bed at 630 so you can have dinner with dad and sneak that wine out of the closet that I know is there. Okay. <laughs> well. Okay. And then you don't just go, no, 630. Okay. It's eight. Done. No. You go, that's, that's great that you're thinking about that. Let's talk about that. What does that look like in me? What is your suggestion on this? Well, I think I need to go to bed at nine before you and mom do. Okay. 
that's a little late because you know we we go to bed at eight thirty and then we watch stuff in t in our room that you won't ever know about. So uh, <laughs> you're not good. nine. Come on, you don't mean nine. But let's think of something. So to negotiate is is to give them little pieces of power so they can develop their own sense of self and confidence. Here's the deal. You got them until they're probably about a junior in high school. Not when they graduate and they go away. No. You, you need them fully prepared for being on their own by the time they're a junior in high school. Mm -hmm. That's the transition year. Senior year, they need to have almost complete autonomy with conversation. Otherwise, you haven't prepared them. You haven't allowed them to know what it's like to go to college or whatever, military, playing professional basketball, whatever they do. <laughs> you, you know, the second they walk out your door, if you have sheltered them and controlled them the whole time, they're a disaster. And by the way, all the statistics on freshmen in college now is that they are the least prepared for college in history. Wow. Really? Yeah, wow. every college is is exponentially ramping up. I'm starting to work with a whole bunch, not just Christian colleges, but secular colleges too, to help them to see how to prepare parents for kids to come in as freshmen because they, they have such huge mental health issues. Loneliness is an epidemic. Yeah. They don't know how to be on their own, especially, by the way, especially Christian kids. Hmm. Uh, so negotiate. It's good. It's a good thing to do. But you're really talking about that as a strategy to develop some autonomy. Yeah, right? absolutely. Yes. Yeah. 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 We just this happened last night in our house. My oldest daughter. That. We have we have a girl from church living with us. She's so great, and she was going to see what's the last Lord of the Rings movie? Last King, Return, Return of, the, of King? the King. Thank you. Yeah. It was at it was showing at the draft house down the street, and it started at six thirty. And my oldest daughter was like, "I want to go, Mom." She's like, we've read Fellowship of the Ring. My husband's watched the movies. With she's them. 12. She's 10. And she wanted to go. And I was like, Maven, it's four hours long. You will be home at <laughs> 1130, you know, with previews or whatever. And she starts to go. She's like begging and begging. I was like, okay, we need to think. Let's have a compromise. What's something else we can watch together tonight? Stay up a little past your bedtime, but you're not, we're not going to go see a four hour movie on a Wednesday night <laughs> at 10 years old. So, but yeah, I, I yeah. find that more and more she's feeling more comfortable and has that desire to like, to exercise that part of her brain that wants to negotiate and wants to find compromise that is trusting me, but also is wanting to find her own way. So that's really encouraging. That's a, actually is a great, great example because the more we can get them to agree to whatever we end up with, they feel a sense of self mm. and power. Yeah. They own it. Yeah, they own yeah, it a little bit. Yeah. yeah. And it was still such a privilege. We don't typically watch movies or like shows or anything on a weeknight. So to her, it was still like, you know, a great privilege to get to do something. It was Percy Jackson. We're big Greek mythology people. She's having fun is what we landed on. But um, anyway, so I work in church ministry. I oversee a lot of our family ministry. I have a great student minister who works um, with me. And then Adam, you know, is in church ministry. And we would love to just hear you talk a little bit about what the role, the, the role that the church should play uh, when we come alongside families with teenagers. Okay, another controversial chap thing. But <laughs> you know what? You got us you, you got us through the negotiations. So that's good. Um, uh, not only training pastors for most of my career, but also being a pastor and mm -hmm. going through all that really hasn't shifted is is when people say that parents are the primary disciples of their children, 
I, I bet you that's come up in your podcast once or twice. I like to use the word that the parents have the potential to be the primary discipler in their family or the potential to be the biggest influence. Cause it's pretty presumptive to say they will always be, but you tell me what controversy, tell me where I'm, well, tell I like, me where I'm wrong. Now you're wrong. Come on, Adam, you have straight A's you said. So <laughs> <laughs> in your class, but Call you were out. grading it. I don't even I know if you read it. Bee, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> you know, the word primary is really interesting because what it does is it lets the church off the hook and it puts mm. a lot of pressure on parents. Plus it gives parents too much uh, autonomy for their own, in their own purposes and their own uh, way of living. Uh, the, the, the politics now about parents are, ought to be in charge of their kids' education. Well, parents don't know enough to be in charge of their kids' education alone. And it's not a, it's not an either-or thing at all. Theologically, Deuteronomy 6 is primarily to the, the, the community, the, the nation of Israel. And I'm sure you heard me talk about this in seminary. Deuteronomy 6, teach your children. And all those things, yes, applies in the home most often. And so, therefore, parents are obviously a key role in God's work in the lives of our kids. But it is not just to parents. It's to the whole community. God's created us to be in community together to make sure that there is this beautiful partnership of adults and uh, single people and all kind of other kids to, to surround each other so that our kids are in, in this in this cloud of witnesses, essentially. Yeah. So um, that idea of, of parents being, working with the church, not just to say, I don't like what you're doing here. I don't like what you're doing here. I like what you're doing here. You need <laughs> right. to do this differently. But not as to, critics to the church. No, yeah. I mean, but I'm telling you, I, the church is the most brutal institution in America right now. It's the, by far the most brutal on people and staff. I don't know if you guys are experiencing that, but nationally that was what's going on now because everybody's got a voice, which is good. It's great. But how do we, how do we do that? It's by being in relationship with each other. So you guys both know you wouldn't do this podcast if you didn't realize we want to serve families, serve parents, help them. And that means we hope that they will also walk with us as we all try to figure out how to care for our kids. Amen. Yeah. And that's the bottom line is we, we see ourselves as the touch point of the body of Christ to our kids. Parenting is the responsibility of the body of Christ and parents are that primary touch point, that prime tip of the spear, if you would, I hate the image, although some kids maybe. (laughs) No, I think that's really good that like the church, I love what you said, and I totally agree. Deuteronomy 6 is to the people of God, not letting anybody off the hook to say, this generation's coming up. We're going to impress this upon them. And so it's if there's somebody in a church who says, well, that's not really my responsibility. It's not my kid. Then they're missing out a little bit on the call of the people of God to say, no, we all come alongside. And I think you see that in a lot of churches when maybe they do child dedications or they have maybe some other rituals that involve like, we're all going to promise mm, to be yeah. a part of this. And that is what we want. Yeah. I'm with you, Chap. Uh, Chap, what are some common misconceptions? We've um, 
we have a lot of church workers that listen. We've got volunteers in our church that listen to the podcast. It's not just parents that are listening. Right. Um, so I would love to hear you talk about some of the misconceptions around student ministry and teenagers that uh, would encourage our the church workers and volunteers in our ministries. We, we pay so much attention to behavior and attitudes and decision-making that we forget that inside is this soul trying to figure out how to survive transactional relationships, living out of avatars, these cultural pivots. I don't have time to talk about them now, but is there's a story inside of every one of those kids and inside mm. of every family. And by the way, now that I'm a grandfather of five and, you know, got all our kids, uh, there's a story inside each parent that they're on the run. And they're trying to figure it out. And it's mm, hard. That's true. So anybody in ministry, we, we just need to remember that there's a lot of things that we don't know and we can't see. And for one thing, that's got to lead us into people prayer for sure. Yeah, I, good, I, I think that, that that both personally and corporately, times of prayer on behalf of, of, of people that we serve. Uh, secondly, uh, we're in ministry, if we're honest, at some point, some way, some level, in order for us to get people to notice. We joked about it earlier, Adam, at the beginning of this. That's thing. right. But there's not, a, especially in ministry, there's not a one of us that doesn't go, you know, I gave that talk and we want to go, how'd I do? How yeah. was it? What'd yeah. you think? And yeah, I'm old, man, and I still get that. I do parent seminars <laughs> somewhere, I preach somewhere, and I go, I just everything inside. I'm doing me goes, it right now, chap. I'm thinking about it right now. How how is this going? How are we doing? What are we asking? How much time are we taking? Oh, are we do we have time left? Is everybody happy who's listening? Yeah. Well, that, did chap just spill anything? Is, is that going to? Are we going to edit this I'm, out? So hard. <laughs> He's having way <laughs> too much fun on this podcast. Well, yes, which is isn't that insane? I mean, yeah. we're in ministry, and yet. So here's the deal is we got to realize this isn't about us. This yeah, isn't. That's right. If it, Not if, but we need to have practice the spiritual discipline of what a, a pastor I know in L.A., her name is September Penn, forward grad. She's wonderful. And she calls this holy ambition where our ambition is is filtered and boundaried by God's work, God's kingdom. And, and that the word ambition is used two ways in the New Testament, right? There's selfish ambition in the lists. It's included with idolatry and sexual perversion. I mean, so selfish ambition is a biggie. Yeah. But also Paul says, I make it my ambition to make Christ know. So it's like. That's good. What's my ambition as I do my work? And, and just be aware that we all want to be liked. We all want to be appraised. Uh, right. That way we can let go, not be so worried. So those two things. No well, and I think it, yeah. jumping off of that too, I think we see that in the way a lot of churches hire. We try to hire a youth pastor who we think kids yeah. will like. So it may not even be the best example to the kids. It's just, here's the coolest. As parents, we try to think about how do I keep my kids liking me? You know, we, we parent in a way to hope, like a lot of people think, how do I get through the teenage years? Well, I have to find 
I have to raise my kids to be so uh, such big yeah, admirers cool of mine mom. that there won't be yeah. any season of pushing back. Yeah, because I'll be such a cool mom. And I think what you're talking about there, and maybe in the worst senses, I would see in myself as insecurity in, uh, yeah. or pride, you know, kind of the this, this spectrum of those two things, I would see also in the way that they apply globally in American churches to hiring and thinking about who's our young life leader going to be, who's our student minister going to be. Well, I want somebody who's going to convince them that uh, they are cool or that going to church is cool. When, if you read through the gospels, chap, you know this, Jesus is not a marketing coolness. He's not saying like, hey, the people are going to love this. You know, people are going to love you. In fact, if anything, he's preparing his disciples for a season where after I go, be prepared because the same way people hate me, they're going to hate you. And if we maybe talk, maybe that's a little scary thing to say to a parent, just so you know, people hated Jesus. Don't be surprised if your teenagers <laughs> give you a hard time, you know, uh, but that is a little bit more of the sense. Now, I love this conversation. I think there's so many good nuggets here. I do want to wrap this up, but before we let you go, Chap, would you mind, could you just tell us how we can be praying for you? You told us at the front end how we can keep up with you a little bit, what ministry you have coming. I love your writing. I think it's really helpful for people, but what are the ways that our listeners can pray for Chap Clark and for your family? Uh, a thinks that I'd be faithful and prepared. Over the years, that's what I learned is the really, that's the only thing that matters. Yeah. Is faithful for what I know right now, yeah. what's in front of me, and continuing, even though I am approaching a pretty big birthday in November. Uh, 82? What do we have? Uh, you know what? Just I, just, I just think, <laughs> you know what? This is not a video. They're not no. watching this, right? They're not watching. You okay. can you can give me any gesture 42. you want. <laughs> okay, perfect. Uh, that's funny. I, I almost responded. Um, but I can still screenshot you know, it. Prepared that I'd continue to be prepared because I I still yeah. know I got gas in the tank and yeah to, to help people to take this faith seriously in a way that's free and powerful and uh, allows the Lord to move in surprising ways, to pay attention to God's grace every minute of every day. So I pray for that for me. I, I, you know, I just, I don't want to be stuck. Luckily I'm married to somebody that's an equine therapist. Cool. Got horses. Yeah. She's incredible. And she's what's called an eco theologian, which is a biblical theologian. She's got her degree from seminary who actually takes the verses in scripture about creation seriously. Hmm. Those of us, that are so steeped in the, you know, the Western 500 year history of the cognitive. She, uh, she walks with her clients as a therapist in the woods and, and sees an owl and wonders, Lord, what are you teaching us through the gift of this mm -hmm. owl that you have put in our path? And I go, and what a blessing. Ah, that's weird. <laughs> Until I realize I, I had an Eagle today. We live on the water in Gig Harbor, Washington. And every time we see an eagle, we just go, that's a reminder of the Lord's great love for us because of his incredible creation. So I'm saying, pray for us to stay in the game. And, yeah, and I want to stay in the game. And I, and I love it. I'm still, I'm still doing stuff. I'm out there, churches and other stuff, and I'm enjoying it. That well, I chap, keep you're my making health. a big difference, oh, and you have you. made a big difference. I'm I'm grateful for your investment, and I do want that. I want you faithful to the end. I love that you're you're self aware enough to say you got gas in the tank. I think a lot of people would tell you like, hey, it's okay to slow down, and I'd say, hey, chap, it's okay to keep going, brother. It's okay. Let's let's press on. Let's go all the way to the end. And thanks for being yeah. out with us today. I it's really enjoyed to both of you. Thank you so much for letting me just kind of 
muse, <laughs> as they say. It. Well, thanks for listening, friends. If you think it's as important as we do to disciple our families, you can help us out by giving us a great review wherever you listen to podcasts. You can visit one of our sponsors or share this episode with one of your friends. If you want to keep up with us or join the conversation, you can follow the Family Discipleship Podcast on Instagram and Facebook. We love you listeners, and we will be back with you next Monday morning.